Hi, everybody. If we can come back in. So what were some of the voices? What were some of the answers to the question? James Earl Jones got to be near the top of the list. Morgan Freeman. Gilbert Godfrey. Yes. Wow. I'm going to try to get that one out of my head before I start teaching. Who else? Elvis? Darth Vader. James Earl Jones again. Yes. Dick Clark. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I think... I think mine is, uh, God, um, you'll, you'll, it just blanked, right? You, you're about to say it. You can say, oh, he just passed away. Keith Jackson. That was one of mine. Keith Jackson calling football. Definitely one of the voices. Very recognizable to me. Well, everybody, thank you for being here. It's good to see everybody here. Uh, thanks for everybody. You braved the snow and ice last week to hear Bonnie uh, lead us in our teaching if you haven't had a chance to listen to the podcast, the first part is caught off, cut off just a little bit, but the rest of it is excellent. So go give a listen to that. I want to give, a, I want to give an upfront disclaimer today, too. We're going to be talking about some very difficult things, uh, in particular some things that happened this week. Um, so just be aware, parents, and those of you who are sensitive to um, descriptions of the reality of the violence of the world that we live in today. We're going to talk about those things in this space. So heads up for those of you with that. This week also is the first Sunday of Lent. Now, as many of us as part of Grace Church, that's may not have been part of our culture growing up, may not have been part of our church experience. But as we seek to increasingly orientate ourselves to the calendar and to the rhythms of the Christian church, um, we invite you to participate in that. One of the ways to do that, um, this week, Andrew Brewer wrote a great blog piece about a book that the leadership here at Grace is reading called Liturgy of the Ordinary. And in his blog post, Adam says, or uh, Andrew says this. He says, as we begin this Lenten season... It's traditional that we fast from something in order to connect more deeply with God and recognize our dependence on Him. While I still fully support that, I also want to, want to invite us into a new ordinary. Rather than focusing solely on the big sweeping changes that often come from a 40-day fast, I hope that we can also explore how to recapture the sacredness of the normal. Each week we will spend time evaluating the things that we do on a regular basis and how those things can serve as a springboard for deepening our relationship with God, deepening our dependence on the Holy Spirit, growing closer as a community, and serving the world around us. One of those practices that the book describes is being part of community. And oftentimes when we think about fasting, we think about going out into the wilderness alone of a solitary action, of something that we take on as individuals. And while, yes, there is an individual aspect to these practices, I want to invite you this week to consider the wilderness, the wideness, and the witness of community. I've had multiple discussions over the years with people who identify themselves as introverts and how difficult it is at times to integrate with a community. 
your Lenten practice this year very well may be more interaction rather than less. Now again, this is good. for some people, community is easy. For some people, it's, it's natural and, and even needed to be in community. For others, it's a chore. It's a discipline. It's something that needs to be purposely cultivated and built into. And so as we begin our, our worship this morning and as we talk about the Good Shepherd, we have to understand that, that these, these words, these metaphors, these teachings that Jesus did are in the context of community. We've said it here before that uh, as Marva Dawn, the theologian Marva Dawn teaches us, to, be, to really read the Bible accurately, we have to read it as good Southerners. We have to read it as y'all more than you. Y'all is community. Y'all is being called together. Y'all is the discipline, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether you've been blessed by church or burned by church, of gathering together for the purpose of being conformed into the image of Christ. So let's take a minute before we get into our scripture study this morning and close our eyes. And take a deep breath. And be aware that while we are here and the Holy Spirit is in us, we have also been gathered. We have been called to a place and a time, but also a community. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We have heard your voice and responded by coming together. We now give you our ears, our minds, our hearts, our attention, so that you could teach us and change us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, my name is John Ray. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Church. It's great to be back with you after a little bit of travel be gone the next week as well, uh, teaching and traveling. Welcome to everybody who's watching on the Facebook live feed and also that will hear this on the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Um, the images of this week are not hypothetical to me. I don't have to use my imagination to conjure up the terror and the shock, the acrid smell of the gunpowder, the startling sound of popping, and the screams filling the halls. I don't have to use my imagination to envision the immediate chaos followed by a lifetime of episodic, traumatic stress. All I have to do is use my memory. On May 18, 1978, a fellow student and friend of mine walked into our classroom and fired three shots from his father's 22 caliber rifle into our teacher, Rod Grayson. 
the day before after getting written up by a substitute for acting up as a class, I was walking out of class with the student and he said he would bring a gun the next day. I thought he was joking and told him I would bring one too. There are other memories that I have as well. Memories of what a fantastic teacher and person Mr. Grayson was. It's easy and natural, y'all, to lionize the dead, especially someone who dies in a tragic incident like that. But you need to know Mr. Grayson really was exceptional. He coordinated a field trip for our junior high class to go from Austin, Texas to see the King Tut exhibit in New Orleans. Y'all, that's not a small field trip. He had the energy that only a first-year idealistic teacher has. He brought that into, his, into our class. He believed in what he was doing. He, he gave me, just one of the many students, some of his comic books. What, what teacher does that? Just connects with a student like that. My memories immediately after the shooting are confused and sporadic. And not just memories associated with murder. I mean, all my memories. I have almost no recollection of the next two years of my life. Only in recent years have I learned how to slow down enough and to pay attention enough to mine into those years. It's taken a very long time to deal with the deep-seated fear driven by this and other traumatic events. It takes a great deal of grace, study, and effort to develop an active gospel imagination to counter the violence of an active shooter. In early Christian iconography, one of the primary illustrations of Jesus was that of the Good Shepherd. Many of these images are found in the catacombs of Rome, places where the persecuted early church used to gather, both to bury their dead, but also to worship in secret. And it might seem ironic that in the midst of the most systematic and violent persecution that the church has ever endured, these followers of Jesus experienced him as a good shepherd. One could easily imagine those being actively persecuted, sought out, killed, fed to the lions, burned at the stake, questioning the goodness of this God that they followed. And while I'm sure on some level this may have happened, the enduring testimony of this generation of believers is of proclaiming and illustrating Jesus as good and comforting and protecting a good shepherd. Grace Church, we live in a violent and broken world. 
one that is yes, being permeated with the restoration of the kingdom and also filled with beauty and grace. But at the same time, it boils with murderous intent. There are a million voices that threaten and cajole, that market false promises of control and safety, easy answers of vengeance, ignorance, denial, isolationism, or distraction. All of them lead to death. There is only one voice that can lead us to true life. There is only one voice that can bring peace in the midst of violence. There is only one voice that can heal and restore and redeem. It's not the voice of Fox News or CNN. It's not the voice of the prosperity gospel or of godless nihilism. It's not the voice of walls and me-first nationalism or of utopian globalist fantasies. It's not from the latest social, trending social media post or podcast. There is only one voice, and that is the voice of the Good Shepherd. Grace Church, is this the voice we are listening to? Do we hear that voice at all? Jesus speaks to us this way. He says, I tell you the solemn truth. The one who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens the door for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own sheep out, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep will follow him because they recognize his voice. They will never follow a stranger, but will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus told them this parable, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. A little bit of irony here, right? Is he's telling a parable about hearing and understanding the shepherd's voice, and the description is they didn't understand what he was saying. <laughs> Y'all, come on, you gotta laugh. That's funny. I mean, that's funny. But Jesus is patient, so he goes on. He says, Jesus again said, I tell you the solemn truth, I am the door for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and may have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not a shepherd and does not own sheep 
sees the wolf coming and abandons the sheep and runs away. So the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them, but he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. He runs away. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not come from the sheepfold. I must bring them in too, and they will listen to my voice, so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so that I may take it back up again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down of my own free will. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it back again. This commandment I received from my Father. Y'all, hearing the voice of the shepherd is essential if we are going to find the way of life. If we are going to navigate and indeed flourish in the world in which we live, we have to be able to recognize and to follow the voice of the good shepherd. But that question, right? How? How do I hear that voice? How do I know that voice? How am I, how am I confident that I can follow that voice? What does it take to know that voice. I mean, there have been countless books, teachings, materials that have been devoted to answering this question. Let me tell you, this question can lead to a chronic lack of sleep. (laughs) Countless epic quests and billions spent on gurus and gimmicks. But it is an essential question that we all have to ask nonetheless. And the first step in learning to, to hear and to follow the voice of the Good Shepherd is to realize this. We are all following somebody. And we are all listening to something. This is not a question of being in a negative position and saying, am I going to listen to somebody? Am I going to follow somebody? No, you're already following somebody. Everybody in here. We are all following somebody. We are all listening to someone or someone's. We are all always constantly being formed and being led. The question is, by who? By what? What are we listening to? What is forming our imaginations? And our affections. What are we investing the treasure of our time and attention into? The bottom line is this. We learn the voice and the language of the shepherd by following and practicing what he says to do. There are no shortcuts here. There's no easy answer. There's no miracle pill. There's no one book that you're going to read that's going to do it. Or one seminar, or one retreat, or whatever you're going to do. This takes the consistent, disciplined effort of practicing coming together as a body 
and investing as individuals. Giving our first, our best, our most attention and affection to hearing this voice. Is it going to be frustrating? Absolutely. That's probably the one thing I can guarantee you out of this whole thing. You're going to get tired. It's going to be frustrating. You're going to get confused. I can, I can almost guarantee that. Beyond that, can I guarantee you that, hey, you're going to nail it? You're going to figure it out? Like it's going to be you and Jesus, BFF? He just kind of gives you a nod, a wink, and you know exactly what God's trying to tell you to do? I, I can't guarantee that. I don't know. I'm not there. But I can tell you where everything else leads. I can tell you what all the other voices, all the other things that form you, I can tell you where they're going to lead. And it's not to life. It's not to the life more abundantly that Jesus promises us in this passage and in his person. Martin Luther said that sin is like this curving in on ourselves. And if we are to truly learn to hear and follow the voice of the shepherd, we are going to have to give him the first, the best, and the most of our affections and attentions. We can't hoard it. We can't be selfish with it. We can't just keep it to ourselves. Being knitted into a church, gathered into a flock, if you will, for this illustration, is an essential part of this process as well. You see, there's a very common misconception that as we mature, we need less from other people. Our society, our whole society, is built on this idea of rugged individualism. The more competent that I am, the more powerful that I am, the less I need of others. And here's the paradox. In a way, that's right. In a way, the, the deeper we go with Jesus, the more we know Jesus, the more confident we are in our identity, the less we need from other people. We don't need their, we don't need their adoration. We don't need their affirmation. We don't need them to tell us, hey, good boy, good job. But we're secure in what we believe. And we're able to withstand the noise and the cajoling. It's true. But, but the mystery is this. is As that deepens in Jesus, we are more connected with other people. Because we're more open to open ourselves up. We're more able to open ourselves up. We're more able to be vulnerable with each other. Because we're not scared anymore. We're more able to share with others because we're not clinging to stuff anymore. We're more able to receive from others because we're better able to discern what gives life and what doesn't. And so this mystery of hearing God's voice, yes, it centers us more in who we are, but at the same time knits us together to others in a way that we find impossible to do without. Not because we're needy, 
but because it's beautiful. And why would we want to live any other way? Why would we who have tasted the beauty of community, of rejoicing with others and grieving with others, of sharing with others and receiving from others, of having our lives intertwined, not at a superficial, what's your favorite sports team level, but in a deep, life-giving way. As we do that, that also helps us to discern and to hear the voice of God. And you see, we also need to remember that we are gathered for a purpose. The church... It's not so much that the church of God that has a mission... It's the God of mission who has a church. We're, we're gathered together for a purpose that goes beyond just living our best lives now. We're gathered together for a purpose for the one who created the church. Jesus gives us a clear paradigm in what that purpose is when we look at the leadership of that church, of the Good Shepherd. It's a, it's a purpose that looks and reflects the characters of the Good Shepherd. It's a church that protects. It's a church that sacrificially serves. It's a church that leads people to places of life, of wholeness, of abundance. But it's also a church that willingly lays down its life for the good of others. It's a, it's a church that recognizes, hey, there are people out there, still others, who are not of this flock, not of this fold, not of the church. Those who have yet to hear, those who are being deceived, called, captived, abused, abandoned. Those, they need to hear God's voice. They need to know the Good Shepherd. And so we go. We, we, we take this thing that we have a right to. We have, we have a right. We take it, we lay it down, and we go after those. We, we, we seek to imitate the shepherd by seeking to go to the lost, the captive, the abused, the abandoned. That's what the good shepherd does. That's what his flock likewise does. That's what we as the church do. That's our mission. Is as, as one life was given for us, and it's not demanded, it's not a payback, we're not trying to pay anything back. What we're doing is we're just imitating we're just imitating the one who saved us. So we lay down our lives and we go. Now contrast that with the selfish and contractual nature of the hired hand leadership or the hired hand church. The church that gathers for its own comfort, for its own convenience. The church that gathers 
to use the community as a tool for its own sake. That church runs away when it's attacked, when things get tough, or when a better deal comes along. And that's not the way of the good shepherd. And listen, while no human leadership, you gotta be, we, we got to be careful and recognize that look, no, no human leadership and no church is perfect. Man, God, I blow it every day. We all blow it every day. This is not about some performance. This is not about being perfect. But this is about a consistent practice. And listen, y'all, what other options do we have? Really? What else are we going to invest in? What else are we going to give the best, the first, the most to? What else, where, where else is it going to be? What else are you going to do? It takes serious commitment in our society to stop and listen. To really pay attention. Eugene Peterson calls it a long obedience in the same direction. And as I said earlier, we are all listening to something. We are all being formed by someone. The good shepherd is the only one who is ultimately worthy of being listened to and formed by. If we're really going to stand up and to counter the countless active shooters in our world, both metaphorically and real. We are going to have to develop an active gospel imagination formed by hearing and following the voice of the Good Shepherd. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we transition to this time of reflection and prayer, worship and offering. Last night was kind of a sacred time at my house. After being gone, uh, got to bring back some good Texas barbecue. We sat around the table, and Danny and Hannah are back from India, and my, my friend Bobby is in town, and we sat around, and we, we laughed, and we shared a meal, and we caught up. We talked. We listened. We got to know one another around the table. In a way, that... That is represented here. This table is the table that Jesus gathers us in from the ends, from all our work and our schools and our homes. He says, hey, y'all, come together. Let's get together. Family, let's come together around this table. And let me provide for you a meal. Let me provide for you a meal where you get to hear my voice. And I get to hear yours. That's what this time is for, is, is we hear God's voice, but we also do it with the assurance that He hears ours. He hears your voice. He knows your voice. And so as we gather and we take the wine and we take the bread, and we learn from that sacrifice, we learn from that obedience we learn from that laying down of life what it is to find life that we can be brought up into. We also learn to hear the voice of God.
the voice of the Good Shepherd. Thank you for being here this morning.